Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. (laughs) Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. What's up, folks? Today is Tuesday, November 30th, 2021. Coming up, a roll of Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Jury selection is underway. The trial of former Minnesota police officer Kim Potter, who shot and killed Dante Wright, 
from the traffic stop earlier this year. Today, some jurors have been chosen, and Potter's attorney said she will be testifying during the trial. We'll talk with journalist Georgia Fort, who is covering the trial. Philadelphia prosecutors want the U.S. Supreme Court to review Bill Cosby's sexual assault case and restore his conviction. He was freed after serving decades in prison for a crime he did not commit with absolutely no compensation from the state of Missouri. Kevin Strickland is close to being a millionaire due to social media. President Joe Biden signs four bills into law aimed at helping veterans. Thanks to Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock, one bill will study the race and ethnic disparities in compensation benefits administered by the Department of Veteran Affairs. A study finds landlords are discriminating against applicants based on their names. No shot. And in our HBCU Connect segment, we'll talk with a man who had a big part in Dillard University getting $5 million to create internships. An anti-critical race theory complaint targeting books about Martin Luther King Jr. and Ruby Bridges by Tennessee Group gets denied. Mm -hmm. And in our Marketplace segment sponsored by Verizon, we'll talk to one black entrepreneur who wanted to ensure other black women do not get sick from chemicals in feminine products but she created her own. Plus, Barbados celebrates as it cuts colonial era ties with Britain and Queen Elizabeth II, and they raise up Rihanna. Plus, mayoral race in Atlanta. Who will be the next leader of that city? It is time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. President Joe Biden signed four bills into law aimed at supporting U.S. veterans. Advocates and members of Congress joined Biden, who signed the bills uh, at the White House. The first bill, enacted by Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock, addresses VA benefits and the issue of race equity. President Biden says the benefits delivered should not be different based on race because the scars of war do not discriminate. So I will sign requires the Government Accounting Office to assess whether there are disparities associated with race and ethnicity when it comes to VA benefits and disability ratings. The weapons of war and the nature of injuries they inflict don't differentiate based on race. And the type of disabilities our veterans carry with them uh, don't differentiate based on race. So the claims approved and the benefits delivered should not differentiate either. We've heard from veterans of color who, upon returning home, from their service are treated differently from white veterans. This bill will help us understand how this happened, keep better records, expose the facts to the light of day, and allow us to do the necessary work making sure that all of our nation veterans, all of them, are treated with equal dignity and equal equality throughout their entire time, with the consideration being no different for based on race. And I want to thank and congratulate Senator Warnock, who's here in the room, 
who has such a has been a moral leader in the U.S. Senate since he got here, and leading on this issue as well as Representative uh, Takano, who has done a yeoman's work in the House. Now, the second bill supports veteran maternity care at VA and non-VA facilities, and the third helps healthcare veterans get jobs after their service. The last bill is aimed at helping veteran survivors' families with in-state tuition eligibility. In a written statement, Senator Warnock said this is a win for veterans across the nation. Quote, as a voice for Georgia in the U.S. Senate, I'm committed to making sure Washington is keeping its promise to our veterans. Given the VA is one of our nation's largest health care providers, I'm proud of my legislation to study disparities in care at the VA passed Congress with bipartisan support and has now been made law. This law pushes us one step closer to fully understanding the VA's standard of care so we can identify and address the systemic challenges facing some of our veterans and ensure that all of our veterans are receiving the equal and just care they earn in courageous service to our country. Joining me now, Mustafa Santiago Ali, former senior advisor for environmental justice at the EPA, Amisha Cross, political analyst, Democratic strategist. Amisha, this is the thing that... So this is what's amazing to me. When, when you have these folks like John McWhorter who writes these bullshit books, Woke Racism, and Idiots Like Candace Owens, and I could go on and on and on, they're like, oh, no, we don't see race you still see it. You still see how race plays a role in disparities, even when it comes to the VA department and benefits. Absolutely. And whether individuals like Candace Owens and others who are in that trickle down of, of racist Republicans like to tout around not seeing race, we know that it is embedded in a lot of our policies uh, across this country, and it's embedded in a lot of uh, previously held uh, federal legislation as well, and sometimes currently le led federal legislation. What we saw in these VA benefits has been something that Black veterans organizations, particularly the Black Veterans Project, has been arguing against for quite some time now, um, where those disparities lie, where disparities in the GI Bill lie, where disparities that have existed for so long. We have to think about this. Black people have fought in every single military excursion that the United States has ever had, period, yet have not enjoyed the benefits that white soldiers have coming back home. And I think that we have to be very strategic when we talk about it, because many people who look like us have fought and died in these wars or fought and came back with serious injury from these wars and have never been able to fully reap any of the benefits associated with one being taken care of health wise, but also being able to receive the funding and the benefits associated with their service. So I think that this is a very huge deal. It's even bigger that um, Senator Raphael Warnock was one of the main um, one of the main thought pieces behind the framework of the legislation and also there at the signing, because Georgia as a state is has one of the largest, has sent some of the largest amounts of black individuals to serve in the military for generations now. So I think that it makes a really, really important historical note that Georgia was so heavily represented, but also that it has finally become acknowledged by the nation, the unjust behavior as it relates to black people who have served so valiantly and have always protected this democracy, even though they weren't necessarily receiving any of those benefits back uh, and Mustafa, we could talk about the, the veteran affairs. We could talk about farmers in the Department of Agriculture. We can go on and on and on. The reality is we're still dealing with race disparities in America. Systemic racism still lives inside of policy. We've been, you know, been able to begin to unpack it and dismantle it in a number of different ways. The actions today by the president and Senator Warnock are helping us to move forward. 
But, you know, the ripples uh, throughout time continue to come back in our direction. You know, housing, health care, education that had been denied to veterans uh, who went and gave their all to protect our country. My family has been veterans since World War I, and I've heard the stories time and time again. My stepfather got shot in Vietnam, and they tried to deny his benefits. He was poisoned by Agent Orange and still had to fight along with a whole lot of other soldiers to actually begin to, to get the, the resources and to get the, the help that he needed and so many others. So, you know, we often say that we honor our veterans, but when it comes to black and brown veterans, that hasn't always been the case. So I'm glad that we're making steps forward, but we still got a long way to go. All right, folks, uh, old tight one second, going to a break. We come back, we're going to talk about uh, a $5 million um, uh, gift uh, that Dillard University uh, has received as a result of HBCU fight in Maryland. We'll discuss that next. Also, we'll talk about the Atlanta mayor race. The runoff is today. Uh, Felicia Moore, Andre Dickens, who is going to be the next mayor of Atlanta. We'll break that down and cover lots of other news as well. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going? Everybody. This is Jonathan Nelson. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. University just got a $5 million donation from an unexpected donor. The New Orleans-based HBCU will use the money to create civil rights and public interest internships for students. Joining me to discuss the donation is the Dillard University Board of Trustees Chair Michael Jones. Michael, glad to have you here. Uh, it's interesting that the donation is a result of another HBCU fight for funding. <laughs> That's exactly right. Hey, Roland, how are you? Good seeing you again. Indeed. So tell us about this. 
Well, as you know, I've I been lead counsel for the uh, Coalition for Equity and Excellence in Maryland for the past decade. You know, and my law firm has Kirkland and Ellis LLP has been working on the case on a pro bono basis uh, for, you know, well over a decade. Uh, as you know, we reached a monumental settlement of $577 million earlier this year. A part of that settlement uh, entitled uh, Kirkland under the civil rights uh, statute to statutory fees of $12.5 million. And because we were handling the case on a pro bono basis, our policy is to donate our fees in, in cases like this. And so we uh, came up with a strategy of donating it all to either HBCUs or uh, advocacy organizations for HBCUs. And the largest gift uh, went to Dillard University in New Orleans, whose board I chair. So that's the story of the $5 million to Dillard. And the thing is, look, I mean, this, this was a story that I covered uh, extensively, uh, you know, what was happening in Maryland, uh, and, uh, and y'all were victorious, but it, it was a long, long-fought battle uh, to get that uh, money allocated uh, by the state of Maryland uh, to the four HBCUs. That's exactly right. I think the last time I saw you, Roland, was uh, in Annapolis at a, a rally in, in the winter of 2019, uh, where the Speaker of the House, Adrian Jones, and the full caucus was there, and she publicly announced that she was uh, in favor of settling the case on the terms that we had proposed. I mean, this came about because, you know, we really were having no luck with the executive branch, with the governor, and that was true of the... Election stop. That was also <laughs> true of the prior, the prior uh, executive, uh, the governor, O'Malley, and so we decided to just take the fight directly to the legislature, and uh, that's how we end up winning after all of those years. And, and, and people need to understand that uh, this battle uh, that, that was going on that took place, I mean, it really was a collective effort. I mean, you had the HBCUs, I mean, you had, uh, you had all of them, and then you, then you also had, of course, you had the law firms, and you had uh, the, the, the Black Caucus. I mean, you had a lot of people who were really focused on uh, fighting this battle. Absolutely, absolutely. We were co-counsel with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, and they were involved in the case, you know, from the very beginning. And uh, it's starting in about 2009, I was having meetings with the, the Maryland Black Caucus. They were really instrumental in uh, helping us to get the, the ball across the goal. Uh, the speaker, we actually had uh, begun a series of meetings with her probably three years before she became Speaker of the House, and that was very helpful. We had other organizations, NAFIO. Uh, we were giving uh, NAFIO a million dollars, uh, wrote some very helpful uh, op-ed pieces, and they submitted a amicus brief to the Fourth Circuit. And really, it clearly could not have gotten done without the, the Legislative Black Caucus uh, and really the, also the alumni and the students. And it was really important that they showed up in court every day for the six-week liability trial in 2012 and the seven-week liability trial in 2017, and they filled two or three buses to go to the Fourth Circuit. And it really was, was not lost on the courts how important the case was to the state and to the HBCU community. So uh -huh. you're 
absolutely right about that. This we're showing the video right now uh, of the uh, of the signing. It took place at Bowie State, and I got <laughs> and, and I got to remind people that it passed the Maryland legislature, but it was the governor, Larry Hogan, Republican, who vetoed the bill, and they had to come back the next session and get it done again. That's exactly right. So Governor Hogan vetoed the bill in 2020, and the legislature was prepared to come back and override the veto because we clearly have the votes, but COVID intervened, and so they were not able to come back in session for well over a year. Uh, and when the, they did come back in session, it was an emergency legislation. So it was the first bill in the House, and it was the first bill in the Senate. And as it did last time, it passed with overwhelming support. So I mean, Governor Hogan had two choices. He could sign the bill, or he could uh, uh, veto it and have his veto overwritten. And he decided to go ahead and sign. Uh, well, and, and so let's talk about uh, how is it going to be used at Dillard uh, in, in what way? Well, you know, thank you for that question, because we're very excited about that. You know, one of the things, Roland, that I've noticed is that a number of leading civil rights organizations, like the Lawyers Committee and others, they have unpaid internships. I mean, they, they create great opportunities for students to get experience and exposure to civil rights organizations. But, you know, HBCU community students really can't afford to have unpaid internships. You know, like me, they needed paying jobs. So what we're proposing to do at Dillard is to um, create a $5 million endowment to actually pay students for paid internships, whether it's with the Public Defender Service offices or the Legal Defense Fund or the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights or other uh, public interests and racial justice organizations, you know, through this, you know, we will uh, be creating the paid internships. So the students will get the best of both worlds. They'll get the experience and they'll also get the money. So that really is, is the key thing that we're looking to, to do with the money at Dillard. All right, then. Well, look, uh, it is certainly, uh, I'm sure they would greatly appreciate that. Uh, great work uh, all around there. And again, we got to have folks uh, continue to fighting, uh, fighting these states for HBCU funding. Tennessee, uh, that they, they owe Tennessee State a whole bunch of money, uh, some other states as well. And so hopefully they'll be taking a page out of what y'all did uh, in Maryland. Well, thank you, Roland. Great talking to you, and good seeing you again. Indeed. Take care, Michael. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Uh, the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, uh, they are partnering with financial institution Truist to award $3 million in scholarships to HBCUs. The scholarship program will offer two scholarships to over, to over 300 students at HBCUs and underserved communities. Uh, now, the Truist Access Scholarship includes 45 HBCU students awarded up to $10,000 in annual scholarships with, within Truist Markets. Uh, the uh, Truist Gap Scholarship involves Truist awarding $500 to $6,350 one-time scholarships to 55 students attending an HBCU who need financial assistance. And so we certainly appreciate uh, that money going uh, to our HBCUs. All right, folks, uh, going to a break. We come back. Our black and missing uh, person for the day. Uh, we'll also talk about the Atlanta mayoral race. Uh, in addition to another race in Georgia that's been filled with lots of drama, the sheriff's race. That's next. Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network.
Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only Spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. You really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really, who has time for that? Let's go. Feeling myself. Feeling she myself. ordered herself a ladder with Feeling Prime one day delivery, and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changed everything. Hello, everyone. It's Kiara Sheard. Hey, I'm Taj. I'm Coco. And I'm Lily. And we're SWV. What's up, y'all? It's Ryan Destiny, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Johnson was last seen in Farmerville, Louisiana on November 21st. A 27-year-old is 6 feet tall and weighs 315 pounds. Darren has black hair, brown eyes with a tattoo of his grandmother's face on his right arm. If you have any information on Darius Jones, Darian Jones Johnson's whereabouts, contact the Union Parish Louisiana Sheriff's Office at 318-368-3124. 318-368-3124. A Georgia sheriff is asking a judge to dismiss his case after his attorney claims at the use of a, of a restraint chair <laughs> doesn't amount to excessive force. Okay, constantly drama-filled Sheriff Victor Hill is charged with violating detainees' civil rights in the Clayton County Jail by using restraint chairs on four inmates and ordering employees to use excessive force. However, a federal prosecutor says Hill displayed clear use of excessive force against people in his agency's custody when he ordered them to be held in a restraint chair without justification. See, this is one of the things that when we talk about uh, law enforcement uh, here, he's black, but that don't mean you still can't, uh, uh, you, uh, you know, abuse your power. Uh, and uh, Hill has, has had constant uh, legal issues back... It's, it's constant drama surrounding that sheriff's office, Mustafa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Sheriff Hill has caught a lot of cases. He just never got convicted. Um, and you would think he would have more empathy for folks... Um, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, folks know when they've got folks handcuffed and then, you know, eventually placing people in cells or whatever that they, they don't have to continue to do these other types of behaviors where they put folks in these restrained chairs, which are very inhumane. Um, and there are a number of studies that have come out talking about the lack of utility in utilizing those, but yet folks still do it. And we all understand that it is about a power dynamic. Um, and, and trying to to let folks know that um, you know that you have no rights in this situation, which is which is uh, unfair and untrue. 
Um, so we understand these dynamics that are going on, and we'll have to see how this case actually plays out. You know, you had that, that crazy nutcase sheriff out of Milwaukee. Um, I can't remember that fool's name. Uh, he, was, he was a fake-ass cowboy. I was wearing a big old hat, uh, and, and how he ran his jail. And bottom line is this here. Uh, treat folks with decency and respect. It's simple as that. You don't have to abuse people. Amisha? No, absolutely. And I think that it's important that we highlight that this isn't only happening between um, white officers and, and, and blacks who just happen to be incarcerated or blacks who are being arrested. It's also happening with black officers against their own. There is a particular strategy and a particular ideology amongst those who happen to be in law enforcement that they can treat people who they deem as guilty of something any possible way that they can and that it doesn't really matter. They strip them of their humanity. They do not care about brutalizing them because, in many cases, the thought process is you're here, you did you did something horrible, and at the end of the day, nobody cares about you. So I think that, you know, the more these things are illuminated, the more we will hopefully see organizing around a lot of the issues associated with the incarceral state itself, particularly as it relates to these abuses, because this is not a singular case. This happens very often. And as Mustafa said a moment ago, once you have someone in, in lockup, once they are already in handcuffs, there's very little that they are actually capable of doing to actually injure you or create any type of harm anyway. This is in overreach by those who are in law enforcement who choose to abuse people who, quite frankly, cannot protect themselves and who, in many cases, um, you know, these, these officers, these law enforcement officials feel as though they have no recourse when they do abuse these individuals. If nothing ever happens to them, they're going to continue beating and brutalizing people and totally violating their civil and human rights. Well, if you want to talk, see something that's absolutely nonsensical uh, and stupid, check this st story out. Uh, Jamarcus Glover. Might not remember the name. He was the guy Louisville cops were after the night they killed Breonna Taylor. Want to see what's crazy? She's dead. Go to my computer. He just got sentenced to five years probation. Five years. So all of that, okay, no knock warrant, all of that sort of stuff. And so here's, here's uh, what this uh, says here. On Tuesday, Jefferson Circuit Judge Mitch Perry sentenced Jamarcus Glover to five years of probation, calling the sentence very generous. The sentence was part of the plea deal for Glover that did not include jail time. Glover was the target of the raid the night Taylor was killed. He, he's gonna, first of all, he's going to go back to Mississippi, uh, where he's from, home incarceration for 120 days, or until he moves back home to Mississippi. Again, the judge called it uh, very generous. And so... What the hell does that say, Amisha, that you have this whole brouhaha leads to the death of a woman, the, the shooting, the officers firing, and the guy you were after ends up getting five years probation? So I wasn't even aware of that story until you just highlighted it. Um, there's a level of angst and disgust around that. One, because as we as we know, um, this guy was already in incarcerated. He was already in lockup at the time that um, the those officers blasted through Breonna Taylor's apartment anyway. This guy was already in custody. But beyond that, um, for him to have probation um, and there is an innocent woman that lied dead, it's just beyond frustrating because she lost her life for God one that she was no longer dating or in contact with and he was not anywhere near her home that got raided. But in addition to that, um, 
he had already he was in the process of basically you know cutting a deal with with the state so he would not have to do time anyway this is just further showcasing one how botched the police and the investigators were that entire time but also just how maddening and frustrating the the legal system is particularly in Kentucky um as we look at the fact that there is a woman who is dead and her murderers still have not faced any penalty meanwhile the entire reason behind you know why her place was actually targeted to begin with that guy is about to walk free. The thing, I, I, I have the, no the, words. The, the, it's the thing, and I, I just feel for her parents, her family, the community that loved her because this is ridiculous. The the thing here, Mustafa, is um, you were reach, you were you brought that much force to arrest him, and it ends up probation. That means your force wasn't necessary. The system's broken. We know that the system is broken. That's why so many folks continue to, to work diligently to try and dismantle and deconstruct the aspects of it that do not work. And folks want to continue to push back and say, well, no, no, that's not necessary. Well, yes, it is. Because as we continue to lose Black lives because of law enforcement that is out of touch, that law, law enforcement that overreaches, that law enforcement that uses military-style actions against our people, then it's broken. And it has to be broken um, because others don't have to deal with those types of situations. As Amisha just said, you know, my heart reaches out to Brianna's family who have to now relive all of this over again when they see this person who now is going to be on probation, and their baby will never see another Christmas, another New Year's, another day. Uh, and that is a part of this injustice that continues to happen, that even when we lose our lives in these situations, there's no real retribution. There's no real change that happens. And then we have these stories that happen time and time and time again. Uh, absolutely. All right, folks, uh, let's talk about this here, the Bill Cosby case. The Pennsylvania prosecutor in the Bill Cosby case is petitioning the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, to review the once-beloved actor's conviction reversal. Now, the comedian served more than two, ye two, more than two years of his 10-year sentence in prison for drugging and molesting a Temple University employee. Now, Cosby was released in June based upon technicality. The evidence used to convict him was inadmissible in court. Uh, now, the thing here is that, if you look at this story here, they, okay, so they go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, remember, his conviction was, uh, Misha, was thrown out by the state Supreme Court. So I'm trying to understand what's really your legal basis when the state's highest court has already ruled in a state trial. I don't think the Supreme Court is going to take this up. I don't either. Um, this was a very interesting move because, as you said, once it's already reached the highest court in the state and they've made their decision, um, and, and again, we know that a lot of that was based on technicality, it's going to be very... It, it would not behoove them to take it up. This is a, a one-stop shop. 
they've already made their decision. What is the argument here? Um, and we have to remember that this was a case that went through multiple levels in the beginning. So I, I don't think that they're going to take this up. It wouldn't make sense for them to take it up. Lord knows the Supreme Court has enough on their docket already. Um, I, this is this is just not going to happen. And I, I, for one, would have hoped that Bill Cosby would still be behind bars, but the state Supreme Court, they've already made their decision. So I, I don't see this going anyplace else. Uh, this is a statement from Andrew Wyatt, uh, Cosby spokesman. In short, the Montgomery County DA asked the United States Supreme Court to throw the Constitution out the window as it did to satisfy the Me Too mob. This is a pathetic last-ditch effort that will not prevail. Uh, there's a lawyer in his Washington Post story, Mustafa, who says that uh, this is such a one-off case, like the Supreme Court is likely not to take it up. Yeah, I doubt that they will take it up as well. <laughs> you got to really unpack this stuff. You know, this is a, what I often call uh, prosecutor politics, where you want to keep your name in the, in the media and you want to have those folks who have supported you in the past and know that you're still continuing in the fight. You know, you know what, what, what Mr. Cosby did, you know, we all know how we feel about that. But then we have to look at how folks continue to try and weaponize the law and the system uh, to continually sort of erode our rights. Um, and I look at that part as well. Um, indeed. This is, again, I, that's sort of weird. They're actually taking this, uh, this tact. All right, folks, uh, let's talk about what's happening uh, in, the, in Chicago, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, they're still going after Jesse Smollett. It's day two of that particular trial there today. Uh, the lead investigator of an alleged attack on Smollett is clapping back against the defense's notion that Chicago police rushed to judgment. Former detective Michael Theo says roughly two dozen detectives put in over 3,000 hours before concluding the ex-Empire actor staged a hoax attack. Theo says investigators spent days after Smollett's January 2019 report following up on leads to find Smollett's alleged attackers. Outside of the courtroom, Smollett's brother says that he is deeply saddened by what this trial has become. Uh, I just want to express that it has been incredibly painful as his family to watch someone you love be accused of something they did not do, all right? We're confident in his legal team, and we look forward to people hearing the actual facts in this case. We love him. We're here to support him, all of us, and to lift him up. Thank you. Mustafa, this is actually a, a misdemeanor. It, is it really that major of a deal you talk about, they talk about the wasted hours, but aren't you wasting more hours and more money prosecuting a minor misdemeanor case? And that's exactly it. If it hadn't been Jesse, if he hadn't been, you know, one of the, the largest stars on TV at the time, you wouldn't have seen this same level uh, of resources uh, and continual action, both from prosecutors and from the police and trying to, to be able to, to find you know, some type of injustice. With all the... Here's the thing, Roland. Let me just slow down for a second. With all the crime, serious crime, murders, uh, all the drugs, the rapes, all these other types of things that are out there that folks never solve these crimes. They never put the resources that are necessary, especially when it comes to black folks, but yet you're going to focus your attention and significant resources on these misdemeanors makes you have to ask the question, why? 
Uh, I think I'm pretty clear on the reason that they're doing these types of things. Um, but again, you, you don't put this type of action for our everyday people in relationship to misdemeanors. Um, Amisha. Um, I, I agree with what was just said. I think that, you know, as a native Chicagoan, knowing that uh, Jesse Smollett's story from the beginning sounded like a big fat lie, um, I was frustrated with the fact that there were 26 officers um, investigating this, that there were, that there was over 3,000 man hours put towards this, acknowledging the fact that as a Southsider, when somebody goes missing or when somebody dies or when somebody is raped in my community, None of that happens. Um, we, we don't see that level of, of action being put towards actual legitimate crimes. So I was frustrated that CPD went out of its way just because there was a celebrity behind this guy's name to actually chase and investigate a story that sounded like hogwash from jump. Nobody in Chicago goes to the subway when it's negative 25 degrees outside at 2 a.m. in the morning. That's not a thing. The first part of his story was a lie, and the rest of it that, you know, followed in its, in its sequence happened to be problematic as well. Right now, because Chicago PD became a laughingstock of the nation following this great big lie, they feel as though they need to push heavily against it and ensure that the hundreds of thousands of dollars that was put towards investigating this case, not only do they recoup it, but that there is some type of penalty towards Jesse Smollett. I think that part of this is just retribution for a city that kind of fell on its face in terms of CPD after being basically made the laughingstock of the nation by putting so many people onto a case that was not a real case to begin with, especially in respect and in concert with the many devastating things that happen across the city of Chicago every day. Absolutely. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk with Georgia Ford about the Kim Potter trial happening in Minnesota. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Download the app on every one of your devices, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Xbox, and Samsung as well. Our goal is to have 50,000 downloads by December 31st. We've got, yes, a whole month to get it done. Let's make it happen. Also support us by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support this show. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo uh, is RM Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. I'll be right back. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only
Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Hi, I'm Vivian Green. You're hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered. Jury selection uh, process has begun in the trial of the former officer accused of killing Dante Wright. Kim Potter faces first and second degree manslaughter charges for the shooting. Today, the judge overseeing the case went through the selection pool and spoke with 10 potential jurors. Potter is expected to testify. Georgia Fort was in the courtroom today. She now joins us live. Hey, Georgia. Hey, Roland. How are you? Doing great. Tell us what happened. Well, walk us through it. Yeah, well, today was a long day, the first day for jury selection in the Kimberly Potter trial. There wasn't a lot of diversity. Uh, we only saw two Asian women who came in. Um, they were uh, both dismissed. There was another uh, black juror who was questioned. However, he said that his wife had cancer and she had previously been on a ventilator in the last six months. And so uh, he was really concerned about her health had he been selected. And so they let him go. Uh, right now, there's been about uh, three or four people confirmed so far to serve on the jury. But uh, even coming out, I'm outside of the courthouse right now. There was a protest that was happening. A lot of uh, community leaders out here and a white supremacist drove through the protest, a very uh, traumatic moment for individuals who are out here. And so uh, individuals right now are, are wrapping things up and preparing to go home. So uh, drove through the protesters? Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, get stopped by the cops? Was there any sort of uh, law enforcement reaction? Not that I know of. I was actually, because I was in the courtroom, I was on my way out. I've seen cell phone footage. I've seen uh, a photographer of mine, uh, ben, ben Garvin. He captured it. So we'll, we're working right now to try to get that footage out um, across our platforms. But from my understanding, uh, there was no law enforcement present. However, protesters did capture his a license plate number. So I do believe that they're going to be turning that over to authorities and hoping to hold that individual accountable, given if that, that vehicle is even registered to that individual. Uh, well, and it's obviously there was so much attention uh, on the case of George Floyd last year. Um, give us a sense of the people gathered outside, how many. Um, obviously, this does not have the same intensity as a George Floyd trial. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, I would say that there were about uh, over 100 individuals gathered outside of the courthouse today. Uh, I did see the Wright family inside of the courtroom. They weren't there the entire time. They came in briefly uh, during the morning proceedings and then briefly in the afternoon. I actually rode down in the elevator with Katie Wright and Abby Wright, the father and mother of Dante Wright. Um, I asked them how they felt like things went today, and they said it was very nerve-wracking. All right, then, Georgia Fort. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And keep us up to date on what's happened with this trial uh, throughout. Will do. All right, folks. Uh, a study confirms housing discrimination against renters and homeowners of color at more significant rates than any other group. Hmm. A study by the National Bureau of Economic Research done in 50 large cities in the U.S. found rental companies responded to applicants with white-sounding names 60% of the time compared to African-Americans at 54%, Latinos at 57%. This leads to segregated neighborhoods, even in diverse cities. Now, black renters 
faced the highest rates of discrimination in Chicago, no shock. Louisville, Los Angeles, Latinos battle housing discrimination in Louisville, Houston, and Providence, Rhode Island. The pandemic led to more companies offering remote work, shifting from big cities to small towns. This move increased rental prices nationwide. Some cities with the highest increase in prices of one-bedroom apartments, New York City, Birmingham, and St. Petersburg, Florida. Now, I, I, I interviewed an author uh, a couple of months ago, uh, Amisha, about housing discrimination uh, from the... Um, uh, from the, the, the broker side. Going back to what we discussed earlier with the VA. All the people who are saying, oh, no, y'all just keep making up this systemic racism stuff. So why are black-sounding names lower than Latino and white? Absolutely. And um, it's really, really frustrating and something that is pervasive throughout many cities. Um, Chicago being one of the top ones, again, being a native there and having a name that could not be mistaken for anything other than black. Um, I incurred, uh, you know, housing discrimination when it came to renting in my own city. Um, despite having salary that was well over the average for the places I was trying to rent. I, I feel like we have to be honest about the fact that in many cases, um, the, the name and the skin tone we were born into does have some very extreme um, consequences. And it's ridiculously sad when we talk about rentals because we know today that a majority of American society rents, whether you're black, brown, or otherwise. And with that being said, especially in some of our larger cities, um, the rental market is already pretty steep and you're already facing all types of odds to get housing. So when you're already at a disadvantage based on the name that you were given at birth, they're not looking at, they're looking at that first, not, you know, your, your credit score, not any of your references, not any of your, um, uh, any of the things that are on your application other than your name and deciding how many black people they want in a specific unit or in a specific building. And assuming that having more black people in certain communities, um, hashtag Streeterville, River North, um, parts of Hyde Park, come on Chicago people here. Um, at the end of the day, those are communities in many cases that they want to remain with as little diversity as possible, especially when it comes to black people. Because the assumption is you move in more black people, then you move in a certain type of culture. And they do not want that associated with their building because for them, it makes it less marketable to the prized white people. So we have to be very real about the thought process that goes into this discrimination, but also being certain that it is being pushed out. Because time after time, we've seen it elevated in cities across this country and building owners act like there's nothing they can do about it or that they don't see it. The reasons why we have almost all white buildings across many cities isn't for lack of black people trying to get in. It's because they're being denied. And again, Mustafa, for the people, oh, y'all just keep making this stuff up and making it out to be bigger than it is. I, 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 I don't hear all of the people, uh, the content of your character, all the people who love quoting out the king, but they don't want to deal with the realities of life. I mean, the reality... Look, race is still a fundamental issue in this country, whether these white folks want to admit it or not. Yeah, and, and we live with the uh, outcomes of that. You got to understand the game. And, and those who discriminate, they understand the game. So, you know, it used to be that you would have folks who would go into a location um, and they would ask, you know, is there an apartment available? And then they would lie and say, well, no, it's already been rented. 
they understood that you could then catch a case on housing discrimination um, if you had that type of a scenario play out. So now they just don't even respond back to you so that they can get out of it. I'm one who believes that we also have to make sure that folks understand what the penalties are, and those penalties can need to continue to increase. Um, I, I believe it's 21,000, 54,000, and it goes up to like 108,000 if you are continually doing these types of things um, in relationship to the, the fair housing laws that are on the books. And, and there's a lot of folks who don't know it, but there are some that do. Um, so we got to make sure that that continues to get pushed out there so that folks understand that there can be some significant penalties when you continue to have these types of behaviors and actions. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is that a lot of this stuff is baked into the system and folks are going to continue to find ways of, of trying to skate around it. Um, all right, folks, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar having to deal with a white racist in Congress constantly attacking her. Uh, and today, Omar calls out the Republican Party. We'll share that with you next on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. You really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really... Who has time for that? Let's go. Feeling myself. I'm She ordered herself a ladder with Prime one day delivery. And she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changed everything. Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, Congressman uh, Boo Boo out of uh, Colorado, Boo Boo the Fool, uh, Lauren Bobert, whatever the hell her name is, uh, she has been constantly attacking Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Now, uh, videos have come out showing Bobert. She was actually at a, an event where she talked about how she confronted uh, Ilhan Omar in an elevator. She put her eyes down to talk about how she didn't have a backpack call her a, a jihadist terrorist, and then when she demanded, she apologized, they had a phone call, and then Boebert continued her bullshit, then said that Omar needs to apologize to her. Well, today, Congressman Omar actually addressed this issue uh, and uh, addressed this here. Watch this. This is about... I mean, what you, first of all, what you're dealing with is uh, you're dealing with a crazy, deranged member of Congress. Even, even other Republicans are calling her childish 
uh, for her behavior. But, but, but this really is the modern-day Republican Party, folks. Uh, and it's how, it's how they are behaving and it's how, how they are acting uh, that is uh, even the more shameful. Uh, let's see here. Are you guys uh, hearing it now? All right, so we're gonna we're, 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 have condemned uh, this. All right, we're, we're gonna get that fixed in a second. Uh, but I do, I do want to get a comment from uh, you, Mustafa, again on this this constant attack where they're attacking uh, the two Muslim women in Congress, uh, and Bobert is calling them the jihad squad. Well, you know their game is always to dehumanize folks. Um, it, it's quite simple. She should be censured. She should be stripped of her committees. And if the Republican Party does anything less than that, the Republicans who are there in the House, then they're not serious uh, about addressing these types of behaviors, and they will continue. You know, they love to demonize folks. They understand the game that is being played by demonizing um, the Congresswoman or Congresswomen, that they try to figure out ways of weakening them so that they have, one, ways to raise additional money um, for the Republican Party, and two, hopefully to be able to win some of these districts um, that they haven't been able to win in the past. So you d we just got to understand the game, and then we got to make sure that we are holding people accountable and that we continue to put pressure on them and the Republican Party to do the right thing. And if they don't, continue to call it out uh, and continue to let folks know that they are not a party that um, that, that, that really is in step with what the 21st century requires. This is one of the racist videos uh, by, uh, Bo, by uh, that fool, Boo Boo the Fool. That's what I call her. One of my staffers on his first day with me got into an elevator <laughs> in the Capitol. And in that, in that elevator, we were joined by Ilhan Omar. Well, it, it was just us three in there, and I looked over and I said, "Well, look at theirs, the Jihad Squad." One of my staffers. The thing here, uh, Omar said uh, she's lying. Uh, that actually didn't happen, uh, and she, and she's making it up, which she is. Uh, prone to do. And so this is uh, Omar today speaking um, in Congress. I'm going to play you a voicemail that we received hours after I got off the phone with Representative Bobert <clears throat> after she posted her video. We see you, Muslim your bitch. We know what you're up to. They're all about taking over the country. Don't worry, there's plenty that will love the opportunity to take you off the face of the fucking earth. Come get it, bitch, you fucking Muslim piece of shit, you jihadist. We know what you are. You're a fucking traitor. You will not live much longer, bitch. I can almost guarantee you that. These are people are rising up, and you will be tried for a military tribunal, and you will be found guilty. For those of you who did not hear it very well, let me read you what the voicemail says. We see you, sand and word bitch. We know what you are up to. 
You are all about taking over our country. Don't worry. There is plenty that would love the opportunity to take you off the face of this effing earth. Come get it. But you are effing Muslim piece of shit. You are jihadist. We know what you are. You are effing traitor, and you will not live any longer. Condemning this should not be a partisan issue. This is about our basic humanity and fundamental rights of religious freedom enshrined in our Constitution. Amisha, the Republican Party won't do a damn thing because they cultivate and embrace these racists. You're absolutely right. Just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about a, a cartoon that depicted the abuse, the murder of um, a AOC. Today, we're talking about the the fallout from what we've seen with Bobert, who this was not her first go round in terms of attacking uh, attacking this congresswoman or others who just happen to be Muslim. She is anti-Islam. She is anti-Muslim. She has made these types of statements time and time again. I think that the most frustrating part here from the clip that you played earlier isn't just Boebert's comments. It's the plethora of people who clapped, who got excited by what she said. I think we have to realize and really contextualize this for people. It is not just Republicans making idiotic hate-filled statements and not getting punished for their rhetoric. It's the fact that they're doing this and that there are people out here in the ethos, in the in the atmosphere, who are willing to create all types of chaos, who are willing to murder, maim, and destroy people based on what they feel is an edict that was given out by the Republican Party. When nothing happens to these Republican representatives, when they are not reprimanded, when they are not silenced, when they are not... Um, forced to face the music for the aggressive things and the tones that they use, what happens is we have a, a general public of individuals, particularly those who fall in line on the conservative side, who are willing to actually hurt, injure, up to killing um, these individuals who are just living their lives. It is not a crime to be Muslim in America. America is not a theocracy. Not one religion rules this country. With that <coughs> being said, since 9-11, actually before 9-11, we've seen this uptick in crimes against the Muslim community, crimes against those who practice Islam, and this idea that they are traitors. And it is quite frankly disturbing because as we have Muslim women who are serving in Congress now, as we have Muslim women who had to fight to wear their hijab in Congress now, we have people who are ready and willing to threaten them just like what we heard on that voicemail, but not only to threaten them, but to also create realistic bodily <laughs> harm. And we know that because those letters have been sent. That was part of January 6th. The, uh, the other undercurrent was that they wanted to destroy the Muslims who happened to sit in Congress. This is very real, and we have to pay attention to this because these attacks are imminent. And I feel for, I, I feel for Congressman Ilhan Omar. I feel for the uh, I feel for the the squad as we call them, not the jihad squad because that's really messed up and we're not going to use that phrasing. But I feel for those who are putting America first and doing what they have to do, who face these very racist, very anti-Muslim, very quite frankly, I won't say anti-American because Americans have been racist for a very long time and anti-Muslim for a very long time. 
these types of attacks and they need protection. They need to understand and they need to be, they need Congress to acknowledge and the leaders in Congress to acknowledge that this is a problem. Republicans have to step up because this is their party. And as long as their party is allowed to run rickshot to basically be white supremacists loudly and proudly and to leave the types of messages that we're seeing, that we're, that the types of messages we just heard, that's what America is. And we have to do more to ensure that we have an American democracy that is protective of everyone, that is representative of the multicultural society that we live in. Sorry, white racist, your time is up. Uh, the Republican Party is not going to do a damn thing because these are their voters. This is who they cultivate. This is who they want. They know it. We know it. And so they're not going to... Look how many Republicans voted not to censure Congressman Paul Gosar, a white supremacist, a white nationalist. Okay, who sent out an anime that literally talked about murdering Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This is who they are. They are not the Trump Republican Party. They are the Republican Party. All right, folks, uh, got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk Atlanta mayor rates. Also, uh, some white female conservatives in Tennessee. They actually tried to get books removed about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., under the guise of it's critical race theory. I told y'all these people were lunatics. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Y'all know who Roland Martin is. He got the ascot on. He do the news. It's fancy news. Keep it rolling. Right here. Rolling. Roland Martin. <laughs> right now. You are watching Roland Martin. Unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Roland Martin. All right, 
right, folks, runoff election in Atlanta. The race comes down to two city council members, Felicia Moore, Andre Dickens, uh, as they are vying to become the next mayor of that city after uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms announced she was not going to be seeking re-election. Uh, now, Felicia Moore, she got 41% uh, of the vote in the uh, initial election. Andre Dickens got 23%, just besting former two-term mayor Kasim Reed. Uh, now it comes down just to the two of those. They've been attacking one, each other. Uh, big issues ahead. You've got folks supporting Dickens uh, saying that Felicia Moore uh, is simply uh, the choice of white Republicans in Buckhead. She says she has the experience to actually lead the city. Uh, and in fact, Buckhead is an issue because uh, Republicans in the legislature are trying to actually move forward a bill to carve out Bankhead, Buckhead as its own city. Now, significant amount of the city's tax base is there in Buckhead. Um, what do you make? One of the things that I'm going to be looking out for um, uh, here uh, in this particular race uh, is, is black turnout. Because uh, what we have seen, uh, Mustafa, over uh, the last uh, couple of decades, really, is a significant number of African Americans leaving city of Atlanta, moving out to other counties, and then creating uh, an opportunity for African Americans to be elected in those places and expanding the power, but you also have the possibility of who then controls the city of Atlanta. Uh, white turnout, uh, I saw an early polling where white turnout actually was higher than black turnout in the city of Atlanta. Well, you gotta, you know, you gotta do the work that we often talk about. That means that you gotta be spending significant times on the south side and the west side. Uh, with, with the folks um, and making sure that you're understanding what they are asking for and also helping them to understand how you're going to make change happen. We understand that Atlanta is a powerful point in the South, uh, and especially in Georgia, uh, as folks are trying to move forward to make sure that we're holding on to those Senate seats uh, and, and a number of others uh, who are coming out of that particular city. Um, they're going to play a big role, both on the national and the state level. So you got to spend time with everyday folks. I, 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 you know, Atlanta's like a second home to me as, as much time as I've spent there. And, you know, there is an opportunity uh, for the next mayor to actually be very transformational. You know, they say now Atlanta is the Hollywood of the South. You know, that's one economic driver. Of course, there are a number of others that are there. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity, but that opportunity has to actually go back to everyday people um, and these candidates, you know, are going to have to spend time uh, in those locations that are often uh, overlooked. The Buckhead issue is very dominant, uh, Amisha. This is a story from the Land Journal Constitution, uh, folks. With nearly 90,000 90, residents, Buckhead City would take nearly 20% of Atlanta's population and become the 10th largest city in Georgia, according to an Atlanta Journal Constitution analysis, using 2019 population and demographic estimates from the U.S. Census Bureau. But it would remove about 40% of the assessed value of the city of Atlanta's property off the books. Buckhead would be 74% white, just 11% black, 8% uh, uh, would be Asian, 5% Latino.
Buckhead is the crown jewel economically um, when it comes to Atlanta, and I don't think that there's any there there's any way around that. I like that how you open this portion of the segment, specifically talking about the outward migration of Black people, because today a lot of Black folks who say they live in Atlanta actually live in the suburbs of Atlanta. Some of those suburbs are really close, but that makes them not eligible to vote in Atlanta elections anymore. It just is what it is. Um, we're seeing the turnout specifically around uh, around Buckhead and white people in general. Um, part of that. I would argue is typical when it comes to a, a post runoff election. Um, a lot of people came out in the in the previous election, um, and and now we have another one just a few weeks later. And as you probably know, in Georgia and Atlanta specifically, there have been several elections that have been continual over the past month and a half. So I think that there is a certain thing about election fatigue that is happening right now. But in addition to that, to Mustafa's point a moment ago, uh, you really have to talk to the folks. At the end of the day, we have two very different candidates running. Um, one who's appealing more to a younger generation of individuals, one who is recognizing that white voters are going to be voters who are going to make or break her campaign, and she's directly appealing and having those conversations with them. In fact, many of them being conservative and having uh, ideals that drastically differ from those uh, blacks on the south and the west sides of the city. So we're going to see this basically fall on racial lines, I believe. Um, turnout is going to be huge. It's a huge factor in this race. It's a huge factor in every race. But honestly, if those touch points have not been made in the black community um, with everyday individuals, then it's going to be really, really difficult, I think, for a lot of the issues associated with, um, with, with blacks in Atlanta that they want to see happen want to see addressed to actually come to fruition um, by the next mayor. And uh, again, a lot of it's going to depend on how these candidates actually made it make sense for their Black voters. And if you watch any of the commercials, any of the ads that were put across social media, the people who were speaking for, uh, that were speaking for Andre, the people who were speaking for his opponent, largely were individuals who don't come from the city of Atlanta, who live in the out in, in the suburbs. So I'm like, it, it's going to be very interesting to see if those voices actually moved Atlanta residents. Well, and, that, and that's going to be one of the issues there. And one of the things, Mustafa, I was on a clubhouse chat before uh, coming, uh, starting the show, <clears throat> that also has to happen, and that is engaging people to understand civics one-on-one. Uh, there are a lot of disaffected young voters, people who don't understand politics and how it actually works and, 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 and how neighborhoods work. And, and I've been saying this across, uh, across the country. We have got to get back get back to the basics of understanding civics. How do we change our neighborhoods? And, not, and realize that you're not going to have some savior at City Hall. You have to have people who are in neighborhoods. You've got to have black organizations who are using their infrastructure, uh, Divine Nine members, um, Links, uh, other groups, uh, uh, Eastern Star, Freemasons, uh, sending people, Prince Hall Masons, sending people down to the city council meeting, the school board meeting, the county commissioners meeting, actively engage in order to save our communities. Without a doubt. You know, when you look at the gentrification that has happened in Atlanta, you know, you used to be able to buy a house for $70,000, $120,000. And now when we talk about all these folks who are in the suburbs, it's not because folks wanted to leave Atlanta. Many people got pushed out of Atlanta. And some of that is because we didn't understand the plans that were coming. Um, so we have to be engaged in what's happening on City Hall and with the Planning Commission and a number of these other dynamics because... You know, the housing values now in Atlanta are exploding. Yes, they're exploding in other parts of the country, but, you know, we have to be focused in the places that we have had power and that we could expand that power. And that's why understanding, you know, like you said, civics 101, 
uh, and how all these types of things play out, and that you literally have the ability to play a significant role in the framing out in the direction that your neighborhoods, that your communities can and should be moving into, comes back to us. We all we often give our power away to to individuals, whether they're in the city council or in county commissions or in state houses. We got to get back to understanding the power that we have locally uh, and how we should play a role in the framing out the direction uh, of our communities. Oh, absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, <laughs> we come back. Oh, my Lord. I told y'all these crazy-ass white people and critical race theory were out of their damn minds. Yo, wait till I tell you what these fools actually tried in Tennessee. And don't think it's the last time this is going to happen. They really tried to get rid of books of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. because it was critical race theory. You watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. It's something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all new Buick Envision, an SUV built around you. All of Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Hey, I'm Amber Stevens West. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs> In Tennessee, a group of parents, a group of white parents, called for the removal of a book about the life of, yes, Reverend Arthur Martin Luther King Jr. This is the first complaint filed under Tennessee's new anti-critical race theory law. In an 11-page complaint filed by a conservative parents group, Moms for Liberty, the group claims that the book Martin Luther King Jr. and the March on Washington was among a set of lessons promoting anti-American rhetoric. However, the state's Department of Education declined to investigate the book because the lessons took place last year. Not that they're stupid, but they don't actually apply this year when the law was passed. Amisha, people have to understand and this is precisely when at Food Christopher Rufo and all them people who sit there talking about anti-critical race theory, the issue was not critical race theory, which is only taught in law schools and not taught uh, anywhere else. They want to label anything black. They want to label anything dealing with race, anything dealing with equity, anything dealing with diversity as anti-critical race theory. That is their aim. 
Absolutely. And I think that we have to talk about this over and over and over again. Critical race theory was never the goal for Republicans. It was never the goal for conservatives. It was never the goal for this new wave of education reform. What they want to do is eradicate any knowledge of American history that is inclusive to the struggle, the fight for civil rights, as well as a lot of the atrocities that white Americans have um, embedded upon or encroached upon people of color, be it whether they're Black, Latino, Native American, or otherwise. Um, they are trying to strip and be able to only tell the history they want to tell of the shining white, ge white guy hero um, it, reiterated over and over again throughout American history. They don't want to talk about the, the, the Trail of Tears. They don't want to talk about the civil rights movement. They don't want to include books that speak on the atrocities of slavery, the injustices that followed Reconstruction, um, the civil rights movement in and of itself, of the of the lynchings, both in my granddaddy and great-granddaddy's day, but also happening in modern-day America. These are things that they want to strip from the books because they don't want a, a next generation of young people to learn about them. They don't want to have um, any bit of heritage actually represented for people of color in those books. And let's be real, Roland, very little of our story was actually included in the history books to begin with, long before this critical race theory argument was ever even thrown out. But this isn't about CRT. The argument has always been white people trying to design, um, it, to design books and literature based on their view of what America is. And their view of what America is does not include cultural representation of us. It does not include the pathway that we have we have walked throughout this country and the many atrocities that have been bestowed upon us, as well as, in all honesty, some of the things that we have done that have helped to benefit this country as Black people. Those things are, are we're fighting to have remain in textbooks as well. It is a very undercut and a very disgusting practice, but it is one that they have been fighting to do for quite some time now and are using the school boards, you know, weaponizing school boards, and, and getting more and more of these extreme right-leaning individuals on school boards so that they can advance removing those the literature that speaks to the Black experience, removing the historical context of the Black experience. This is their goal. This was never a CRT argument to begin with. This was one basically on its face to erase all things Black from the history books. That is diminishing America. It is diminishing the role that we have taken in this country. It is diminishing the, the, the atrocities that we face, but also the successes and the things that we provided this country that have made it stand for so long. They want whiteness to rule, Mustafa. Of course. This is about politics, power, and money. So they looked and they saw the, the whipping that they took in 2020, and they said, how are we going to make sure that when we get to 2022 and 2024, that we can get our base whipped up enough that we can get enough voters to come out? This is a, a Willie Horton moment for those who understand history long enough when you got to have a boogeyman. So they use CRT as the boogeyman to get people uh, energized on, on the right. And, and, and if you don't call that out, then, then you're not really thinking through this whole process. The other part of it is, as Amisha said, it is about the whitewashing of history. Um, because if you can do that, then you don't have to address all these egregious sets of actions that still continue to happen in policy and that happened before. And then that's tied to resources. So people want to be able to control the resources uh, and they want to make sure that there's not investment in the areas that have been disinvested in. Because when you reinvest 
or finally have investments in those areas, people begin to have more free time. When people have more free time, they can get more engaged in all these processes that happen on the local, the county, the state level, and more people have time to dedicate also to getting engaged in the political process. So it is cyclical, but it is also very clear of the things they're doing. And then the last point that I will raise, it also gives those folks who are racist and nationalists and all these other types of things the justification for many of their actions as well. So that is a component of it also. So it is all those things coming together and how they're trying to utilize CRT to justify their sets of actions. Indeed. All right, folks, we got to go to a break. We come back. Our Marketplace segment brought to you by Verizon. We focus on a uh, black entrepreneur who's building uh, her business to help other women as well. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. is a black woman-owned company fighting to end menstrual inequality and provide organic and eco-friendly menstruation products. 
family also pays it forward by uh, stocking restrooms nationwide with their personal care products. The founder and CEO is Ariane Long. Uh, she joins us from Baltimore to share her journey and more about the company. All right, so when did this start? Hey, so I started a business back when I was 26 years old. I was having crazy periods and found out that they were linked directly to chemicals in the products that I was using. So that was back in about 2015, 2016. So, uh, and so you started the business and how? You funded yourself, friends and family. How did you actually uh, and, and, uh, begin to start the business? Man, when I first started, I was using one of every two paychecks and funneling that back into my business. At the time, my husband was my then boyfriend, and we actually moved back home with my whole family, 12 people, my grandmother, my siblings, and more. And Hold on, 12 of y'all in the crib? 12 of us in the crib in PG County, Maryland. We built one house, and we fit everybody in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, and yeah, so it was it was incredible, but we uh, we you know we bootstrapped the company. I had to use pitch competitions. Finding an investor was hard. I'm also black and went to an HBCU, so yeah. So you so when you talked about so how'd you deal with the manufacturing in terms of developing your product and making sure that it was safe and effective? So it was crazy. I went to companies here in the U.S., but they would not work with me because they were working with the companies that put toxic chemicals in their pads and tampons. So we found a small family-owned company that was growing organic cotton in Texas, and we found a manufacturer all the way in Rome, Italy, that was willing to take us on and make our overachieving products, which are three times more absorbent and 13% longer. So they're better for you, and they outperform the others. So um, you started the business, and so how, how were you selling your products? Was it online? Were you in stores? Mm-hmm. When we first started, we were shipping monthly period boxes so that every time a younger girl or a woman would get her period, she would have our products, chocolate, body scrubs, and we saw an opportunity to have more social impact. There are so many women who admit to finding themselves without these products in public or at work. So we quickly started manufacturing our own products, and then we started putting our individually wrapped pads in hotels and college in stadiums. So we essentially want to make sure that you can order the period care you need online, or if you find yourself in these public spaces, you have what you need, which is perfect because now states are starting to make this a law that feminine care is a requirement, and we're there to meet that demand. So um, how many units are you moving per month? How have you grown? Man, we've changed over 25,000 lives. We are a company that expects to net over $70 million in revenue in the next two years, and we're out here playing with the big boys. Uh, and I take it uh, uh, that is not necessarily something they want to see. And so how are you looking to expand the company? So as we think about expansion, Femly is the premier company that's going to hold your hand from your very first period all the way through pregnancy, postpartum, menopause, and beyond. We want to be there for every stage of a woman's life cycle. You may find us at an NFL stadium or at a hotel, but when you need us, we'll be in stores or online, and we will just be with you for every step of the way. All right. Questions for my panelists. Amisha, you're first. Absolutely. Um, for off the top, Roland, I want to thank you for inviting her for this discussion. Um, I, 
I, I find that these products are very interesting and congratulations on your expansion and the work that you're doing thus far, because I think that, you know, in, in the 90s, we heard about toxic shock syndrome and the issues associated with wearing tampons for too long. Um, right now, you know, there's an elevation of period poverty, not only as it relates to those who are incarcerated, who just don't have access to pads or tampons regularly, exactly. but also people who live in poverty, um, who are outside of the penal system, who, do, who yeah. cannot afford um, regular pad and tampon access. So acknowledging the fact that you're doing that work, but also looking at this more environmentally friendly, but also friendly to the body type of substance for an issue that women are going to have, like there's no way around having your period. Um, what have you seen and what actually sparked your interest in making this happen? Because there are, there are options out there, not many like yours, but there are options right. out there. How do you, one, you know, elevate this, the, the awareness of this product, but also what made you get into this to begin with? So I had this tumor that was linked to chemicals found in very popular products. And I did some digging and I found out that the FDA didn't require transparency of ingredients. They didn't re require companies to disclose what was inside of them. And coincidentally, these same products that I was using that millions of women use were outliving the people who use them. They were filled with nylon and plastics. And when you throw them away, that could take 500 years to break down. So I knew that we needed to create something that was both eco-friendly and profited people and planet. The other thing is we started the company, but in 2018, I found myself on life support. I lost my daughter Sage to stillbirth due to a doctor's error and not believing me and giving me the wrong antibiotic for an infection. And when I woke up, I realized that we weren't doing enough about health education for women too. The U.S. right now has the worst rates for pregnancy in the modern world and black women are three to as much as six times more likely to die in labor. So what we're doing is not only providing a better product that works better for you and outperforms, we offer more products in each box and then on the back, there's a QR code that women can use to connect to our health community, to connect with the brand, to learn more about us. So for us, it's a mission that matters and it encompasses more than just period care. It's a movement that changes how we serve women, 51% of the world's population. Mustafa. Sister, I, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for millions and millions uh, of women across our country and hopefully internationally. I don't know if most folks know the dioxins and the furons uh, and the pesticide residue that is actually a part of, um, you know, those traditional uh, feminine hygiene products. So thank you so much for creating these greener uh, types of products that are, that are healthy for folks. I'm curious. Um, you have a, a phenomenal product. Where do you want to take it moving forward? Are there additional products that you're going to put into um, your overall portfolio? Um, mm -hmm. And also, as Amisha raised, we have so many sisters in the Caribbean, uh, sisters in Africa, and so many other locations. Do you have a plan to also reach them as well? Absolutely. So when we started, we started with the global mindset and we're already shipping across the world, not just the United States. And as we think about expansion to better meet the needs of women, we've already designed additional products such as tampons and period panties and more that are dropping in a few weeks that sustainably meet the needs of women during their life cycles and more that address period pain, that address some of their pregnancy symptoms and more all holistically. So, you know, 
the future is bright for us and we believe that we can become the company that meets your needs wherever you are. Whether you're at work and you get your period and you might not have a pad on you or you're rolling through Target hopefully and other stores like Whole Foods and more, or you're simply cruising online and wanna sign up for yourself or your daughter for a period subscription to get it delivered every month on time, every time. We wanna be wherever the women who need us are. And at every step, we wanna have that impact and education and support them with wellness. All right then, Ariane Long, CEO of Family. We appreciate it. What's the website? Thanks, Marilyn. The website is family.com. That is F-E-M-L-Y.com. And you guys can use code wellness for 10% off your next family purchase. Thanks for having me, Roland. So it's, it's family.com, not familybox.com. You can use either or, familybox or family. Okay. Yep. All right, then. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, bye. All right, then, Amisha and Mustafa, thank you so very much for joining us uh, on today's panel. I uh, certainly appreciate it. Folks, uh, that's it for me. And in fact, uh, y'all not going to see me for a couple of wees uh, Time for some R&R. &R. Uh, I'm headed out of town. Much needed rest and relaxation. Uh, well, a little bit. I got a board meeting uh, for three days uh, in Hawaii, but the other nine days I will be chilling, yes, playing golf. Uh, and so Amisha is going to be holding it down. Ray Baker, Monique Presley, uh, they'll all be hosting the show. And so uh, y'all still tune in. Please watch. Uh, brother can't work all the time. Got to have some rest. Uh, and so looking forward to that. Uh, don't forget uh, this Saturday uh, is, uh, in a, first of all, it's Alpha Founders Day, December 4th. Uh, Mustafa knows that well. And so I'm rocking in the alpha gear and so y'all uh, of course uh, always support uh, my frat and also on Saturday go to nabj.org if you want to see the virtual ceremony of the uh, Hall of Fame and a special honors being presented of course I'm being uh, inducted into the NABJ Hall of Fame on Saturday so we certainly appreciate that and looking forward to that as well uh, and so yes I'll be uh, participating and watching uh, from Maui. Looking forward to that. All right, y'all, uh, please support what we do. Our goal is to, uh, again, uh, really build up Black Star Network. Uh, we want to reach uh, 50,000 downloads by the end of December. And so I want you to pass the word, please, uh, and uh, share it uh, far and wide. We want you to, of course, you can download it on all platforms. Um, all platforms, folks, as you can see. Uh, and that's an Apple phone, Android phone, Android TV, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox, a smart, uh, Samsung Smart TV as well. And also, folks, uh, don't forget, uh, we, you can also support our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support the show, our travels around the country as we're reporting the news. We certainly appreciate that. Cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollinsmartin.com, rolling at uh, rollinmartinunfiltered.com. And uh, we, are, uh, we are almost, we're almost done, almost done with our office. I cannot wait. We're going to debut it on December 20th. On December 20th, I come back, y'all, December 13th, but we got to go to Atlanta uh, because we're covering the Celebration Bowl, uh, which pits the SWAC and the MEAC uh, champions. Looking forward to that. Uh, man, I cannot wait to show y'all. I like, I'm looking at our new set. We got to load up one more uh, art piece uh, on here, but uh, I can't wait for y'all to see it because it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and so what we've done here uh, in the office space. And so really looking forward to that. And so December 20th, mark it down. You're going to get the first look 
uh, at our new Roland Martin Unfiltered Black Star Network offices here uh, at uh, right on Black Lives Matter Plaza in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Again, thank you so very much for supporting us. Uh, folks, uh, you can still watch my Rolling with Roland interview with Johnny Gill. It's still on the Black Star Network app. Next week, next Monday, Richard Lawson. You watch actor Richard Lawson as he talks about uh, not only being uh, married to the mother of Beyonce, Tina, uh, Tina as well. Plus, he talks about uh, the devastating airplane crash where he almost lost his life uh, years ago and how he was initially hating on being on the soap opera, how later it was one of the smartest things for him. So my interview with actor Richard Lawson debuts Monday on the Black Star Network app. Folks, that's it. I'll see y'all when I'm back. Rested, tanned, you know I'm playing golf every single day. Y'all have a good one. Take care. Holla! Come back. How'd I do it? Come back. We're not done. My mama's birthday is today. Her 74th birthday. Shout out to my mom, Imelda Martin. Today's her birthday. Uh, I got to get that in. And so today's my mom's birthday. And so, yes, I got to give her a call and the show's over so she gets a shout out. All right, now we can go. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.